Awesome. We have one other thing I wanted to share with you. Uh, this Monday uh, at KU, if you would like to join them, go do it. It's going to be awesome. This Monday they're going to have a missions service kind of thing. They're going to have a couple of missionaries, uh, one from Southeast Asia. You're not allowed to say that in the microphone. Anyway, uh, in Mozambique, uh, they're gonna have a couple, a couple of couples that'll be there, and they'll be talking to you or to people that are there. Uh, they're gonna be awesome. It's gonna be fun. So if you are free this Monday evening, and you would like to travel all the way to Lawrence, I know you guys have a problem walking across this campus. So Lawrence is probably like forever far away. It's 20 minutes. Uh, but I would encourage you to go to that if you are available. That's Monday, April 11th. So this Monday from 8 to 9.30 in the Kansas Union. Uh, there are two unions on KU's campus. The Kansas Union is the one with, there's a Jayhawk out front and across the street is Moses. Huh? It's the religious studies building and there's a, there's a, there's a statue of Moses. <laughs> it's at the top of the hill. The one at the bottom of the hill, I forget what that one's called. Uh, the one at the top of the hill. Where you can walk out the back of it and the football field's there. That's the Kansas Union. Those of you that are like, you're probably not going. That's okay. But we're going to have a fun conversation. You know there's only four weeks left of class. That's, that is crazy. There are only, including this evening, we only have four Kai Alphas left of this school year. We're going to move you back in class. And Vaughn's going to have to go with you. <laughs> so the next three weeks we're going to talk about three different words and this first one is find so in Chi Alpha if you are part of Chi Alpha one of the things that we like to encourage you to do is these three things to find, to fight, and to feed it's to find other people to fight for them, okay? Not with, okay? This is not Fight Club. Because we want you to talk about this, okay? So you fight for them. So fight for them and then defeat them. Now, obviously, that's twofold. Yes. In fact, that means you could actually feed somebody, like food, like legit food. This isn't like a super spiritual, like feed them the Bible all the time. Okay, that's, I mean, Bible's good, something like that, but also like real food, but also scripture, also Jesus. So we're going to jump into this, but we are going to start in the book of Exodus. How awesome is that? Okay, so do not get freaked out by the amount of verses that we're gonna read, okay? It's not that big of a deal. You can walk across campus quicker, no. I can read this fast and you can walk across campus. It's probably actually about the same for some of you who are really quick. But Exodus 26, 15 through 36, this is actually the dedication or the instructions for the tabernacle. So if you don't know what that means, so the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're literally wandering around the wilderness. And God is giving Moses these instructions on how to build this building called the tabernacle. It's a really fancy word for tent. How to build a pretty tent, and it's going to be the place where where God meets people. Okay, that's really what it is. Or maybe in our English twenty first what century is this? Twenty first century? Sure. 21st. 21st. I don't know what it is. In the twenties, thousands. <laughs> okay, church. Okay, 
a movable church. It's kind of what we're looking at here when we're looking at these verses. So this is the beginning of that. For the framework of the tabernacle, construct frames of acacia wood, which is a fancy wood. Don't worry about it. Each frame must be 15 feet high and 27 inches wide. With two pegs under each frame, make all the frames identical. Make 20 of these frames to support the curtains on the south side of the tabernacle. That'll be that direction. Also, make 40 silver bases, two bases under each frame, with the pegs fitting securely into the bases for the north side of the tabernacle. This is going to be fun. Make another 20 frames with their 40 silver bases, two bases under each frame. Make six frames for the rear. I don't know what direction that is. Um, the west. Yeah, I do. Okay. Side of the tabernacle, along with two additional frames to reinforce the rear corners of the tabernacle. The corner frames will be matched at the bottom and firmly attached at the top with a single ring, forming a single corner unit, making both of these corner units the same way. Now, if any of you have ever read the instructions for how to build something from Ikea, this seems vaguely familiar, except it's in English. Um, and not Swedish, and it's yeah. full sentences. But it seems so far that it's like, okay, you've got these big frames, that's cool. You've got basins that are made of silver, not like coated in silver, but like legit silver. That's kind of neat, okay. This is, this is kind of interesting, I guess, but this is, this is a lot of work. Let's keep going. So there will be eight frames at the rear of the tabernacle, that's the west. Uh, set in 16 silver bases, again with the silver, two bases under each frame. Make crossbars of acacia wood to link the frames. Five crossbars for the north side of the tabernacle and five for the south side. Also make five crossbars for the rear of the tabernacle, which will face <coughs> what direction? West. All right, very well, very well. Whatever. <laughs> there were several of you like the middle crossbars attached halfway with frames will run all the way from one end of the tabernacle to the other. Overlay the frames with gold. This is not like fake, this is like legitimate gold. And make gold rings to hold the crossbars. Overlay the crossbars with gold as well. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. This is God speaking to Moses. So when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, you've probably heard that story before. This was also part of that experience. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorated with blue, with purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim, which are angels. Not baby angels with bow and arrows. It's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts again with gold, and set them in four, that's right, silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from the class that were made of gold, if you remember, and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. If you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, if anybody's seen, like, the old uh, Indiana Jones movies, yeah, you don't open it because your face will melt off. It's awesome. <laughs> it's really terrible graphics. If you go ahead, if you want to watch it, it's 19. 50. Like, 87 somewhere in there, maybe early 90s. Then put the Ark's cover in the place of atonement on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. Place the table outside the inner curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and place the lampstand across the room on the south side. Here we go. All right. Did I miss something? Whatever. Okay, so the Holy of Holies um, of the temple or the tabernacle. So the Holy of Holies is actually... You've got this outer curtain thing that 
people were allowed to go in, and then you've got these other sections. But then there was one curtain that we talked about just recently, finely woven linen. It's all pretty, and it's got angels on it. Now, for the sake of argument, if you want to imagine baby angels with bows and arrows on this thing, you go for it, you weirdo. But go for it. Okay, but this is kind of the design for the Holy of Holies, or even for the entire temple. Obviously, it's designed by God. And it's very detailed, if you hadn't noticed, like this high, this long, this many, with this kind of bases, you want that to be important because if it's this big, giant tent thing, you want it to be set firmly on the ground, it would be a bummer if the presence of God kind of fell on you in the form of a tent. So you don't want that to happen to you. So it's important. It's the way it's designed was very intricate, very detailed. It's designed to be incredibly beautiful. I forget the numbers, but there's an incredible amount of gold and silver that goes into this, like legitimate solid gold and silver that goes into this. Then there's all sorts of jewels and gemstones that also went into this, and different types of really nice wood. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not a carpenter. When I'm in the hardware store, I go, that piece looks pretty, and I don't know what that means. It's probably compressed board and not even real wood. But, okay, I can tell the difference. But, you know, for, anyway. Um, acacia wood, I don't get it's probably fancy wood, but it was designed to be incredibly beautiful. Like, this would have been something that if you were a visiting person, I don't know why, but if you were a visiting person walking through this nomad group of people from Israel, or not from Israel, because the country didn't exist yet, um, but they were descendants of the guy named Israel, you would have noticed this tent, and that would have drawn, your, your eyes would have been drawn to it. Because it was supposed to be this really beautiful building. And every time it was set up, it was literally set up in the dead center of camp. And so that way, everybody, that's where you would look. So it was really pretty thing. So it was designed to be incredibly beautiful. It was designed to be held in high reverence. This wasn't just some random, like, hey, let's throw this together whenever we stop camp. It was something to be very much revered. Like, this is an important tent. It's a big deal. All right? Um, it was designed to be the center for worship. This is where everybody in Israel would have gone to worship. They wouldn't have been able to obviously go inside, but they would have brought their sacrifices to the priest or whatever else, and the priest would have taken them inside and slaughtered them. It's really kind of amazing. Um, if you want to read Leviticus, do it. Uh, make sure you're awake when you start, because you won't be when you're finished. Um, but it's the center for worship, designed to be the place where God lived among people. Literally, the presence of God would be inside the Holy of Holies. So inside the tabernacle, then inside of another little room thing that was separated by this beautiful curtain, there was this Holy of Holies. Now this actually continued on. It translates into the temple that was built in Jerusalem many years later, and they did, the, did very similar things. If you want to look it up, uh, David is given the plans for it, but it's actually not until his son Solomon actually builds this temple. Now, again, the actual physical temple that was built in, in Jerusalem was a lot of gold and a lot of silver. Probably not titanium because it hadn't been discovered yet. But a lot of other really beautiful things and a lot of gems and a lot of money would have gone into it. Very skilled laborers would have went to building these buildings or building this tent. So it was designed, and it was designed to be the place where God lived among his people. Now, if you know anything about Scripture kind of before this time, God, like, to be in God's presence, 
was next next to nobody was ever in like in God's presence. Like even Moses was up on the mountain and God was like, hey, I'm gonna walk by. And Moses was like, I don't know if I want you to walk by, because if I look at you, I'm gonna die. And I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and so my face will melt off, my eyes will pop out. Um, he was watching it on Netflix. Um, that's not true. Okay. Um, <laughs> this had to be the place where God lived. But when God walked by, Moses was like, how about, oh, I don't think so, um, because I'll die if I ever actually see your presence. So God was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hide you behind a walk, or behind a rock, and I'm going to let you look at my shadow. And that was it for Moses. Like, not it, like he died, but like that was, that was the most... That was the most he could handle of God's presence was the shadow. Like, could you imagine a God? You should. Could you imagine a God that holy, that almighty? This is probably why a lot of times when we have conversations about God, we kind of fear him because we don't really understand him. We're like, oh, man, if, but if I enter his presence, will I die? Like, I don't deserve to be. Like, when we really get into the conversation of do I deserve or do I even have the right place in my heart where I can be close to God? Usually the answer is no. Like, if we were really to be honest, like, I don't think I want to be in God's presence, especially if we're looking at the Old Testament, because people died <laughs> when they weren't, like, holding it in high esteem, when it wasn't the center of worship, when they didn't design it to be incredibly beautiful. Like, all these things, like, when it was taken for granted, people died in God's presence. Died. In the Old Testament in God's presence because of this. And the last one, it was designed to be the point, it was designed to point the world to God. So we see this incredible building, whether it be the tabernacle that was described there in Exodus, or later on in the Bible, the, the temple that's also God gave very specific instructions on how to build that and what to build it out of and what to cover in gold and what to be pure gold and what to cover with silver and what to be pure silver and how to, to refine the gold and how to refine the silver. Like, it's insane. Like, it really is crazy incredible amount of details. Like, I'm not that guy. Like, when I read the instructions on how to build something, I, I usually read, I skip to the pictures. That's definitely true. I'm already looking at the pictures and I read like step one and step two, maybe step three. And from there, I'm like, ah, figure this can't be that hard. Unless it says Ikea. Um, because those are impossible things to build. Well, anyway. So it's designed to be designed to point the world to God. And that's the temple, the Holy of Holies. This place inside the tabernacle. So if we were to be in Old Testament Israel, like, first off, is anybody in here nationality a Jew? Great. So we're not allowed... Part Jewish? Congratulations. We have to stand outside while you can go into the first court, but the rest of us will watch you. Um, but that's as far as you can go. Because you're a girl. Isn't that a bummer? Isn't that crazy? Right? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, thank God for Jesus. All right. Now, we're going to jump to this. Matthew 26. Now, this Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, which is, if you, read your, if you know your Bible at all, when Jesus kind of rides a donkey into a town and people are like, what's Okay, that's Palm Sunday. In case, you know, those are cliff notes. Those are like really, really short cliff notes of what happened on this. But Matthew 26, 45 through 53 says this. At noon, now this is 
Jesus is on the cross. So his trial has already happened. His illegal trial, by the way, has already happened. He's already on the cross. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Can you imagine for a second, at noon, all of a sudden, light goes away for a few hours. That would be kind of freaky. About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, that word, it's, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew, and I've heard it pronounced many ways, and you're not going to hear me pronounce it tonight. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some translations say forsaken me. Now, I would bet that most of us in this room have probably felt that way at one point or another, that you have felt abandoned by God, right? Or you have felt forsaken by God. And then some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on his reed stick so he could drink. But uh, the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. <laughs> That's a crazy thought. Eh, hang on. Let's see if this guy who said he was Jesus, like the Christ, the Messiah. Just give it a second. Let's see if, if the Messiah actually comes and saves him. Could you imagine if that happened then? Like, ooh, okay. Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary, that curtain that's super ornate, that's made with pure linen, that's got all these amazing things sewn into it, that's super delicate, and nobody could go into the Holy of Holies but one, the high priest, once a year. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Like, who was in the temple that saw this and lost their freaking mind? Okay, remember? One guy, the high priest, once a year was allowed to go in there. You're chilling, doing your priestly things because you're the peon that didn't get to go to the crucifixion. And you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this curtain rips not from, like, you pulled it, like he was clean and he pulled the thread at the bottom and it's gone. Okay, that's not what happened. It says, from the top to bottom. So you're standing there cleaning, you're standing there doing whatever, you're killing a goat. I don't know what he was doing. And this curtain rips in half from top to bottom. Yes, whoa. That's the correct reaction that the writer's trying to get from Matthew. Whoa. <laughs> this, is, this is so weird. The earth shook Rocks split apart. Just eh, rocks splitting apart. No big deal. This one's crazy. And how come we don't like really focus on this sometimes? And the tombs opened. And tombs, not this isn't Jesus' tomb, it's talking about random people. Grandma is coming for Easter dinner. Again, you better have gotten the gravy right. The tombs that was terrible. Uh, the babies, the bodies, babies, goodness. The bodies of mainly godly, godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Dude, that's weird. That's weird. That's where zombies come from. All of the stupid World War Z movies, all that stuff is from the Bible. Okay, that's not, please don't. <laughs> repeat that. That's not, it's, that's not accurate. But this is this is nuts. Because if we go back to Exodus, 
Let me go back to the other part because I can't think of it off the top of my head in the Old Testament where God gives David the designs for the temple. Like super intricate, very detailed. We just talked about them. These beautiful things. And then God has people make these things. And then God, when Jesus dies on the cross, goes, oh, that was a really pretty linen tapestry that you made. I'm going to rip it in half, suckers. <laughs> and just tears it in half like it was nothing. I hope you ask yourself this question. Why? Why would God do that at Jesus' death? What is the purpose? What is the reasoning? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? Do you not belong to yourself for God brought you or bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. In the very last chapters of the Bible, John writes this about his vision of heaven after Jesus returns in Revelations 21 through 22. It's the entire two chapters, so we're not reading that tonight. He sees an extraordinary depiction of a new city of God, but something is conspicuously missing. There is no temple in the city. Now, this is a big deal for a Jewish guy to be writing something about a holy city and there not be a temple. Because the temple was the center of everything in their lives. But in this new city that he sees a vision of, there isn't a temple. Why? There is no temple in the city. And why would there be? Jesus is right there with his people. As we look to the end of the story, what we lost in the beginning of the story. God himself dwelling with his people. So humanity, you are designed by God. God literally designed every part of you. God designed you to be incredibly beautiful. Some of you are like, yes sir. <laughs> others of you, oh, seriously though, but others of you in this room probably have a problem with that. Have a problem with this. That God designed you. He purposely designed you to be incredibly beautiful. Are you kidding me? I would rather go back. So looking at the details for the tent back in the wilderness or the temple back in Jerusalem. That would be easier for me to understand. God spent more time on you. God put more detail into you than he did into the old temple. God designed you to be held in high reverence. This is all humanity. Anytime you heat, treat somebody, or anytime somebody is being treated as less than the image of God, or an image bearer of God, it is anti-gospel or anti-Christ. That's whether I do it or you do it. That's whether CNN does it or Fox does it. It doesn't matter who is doing it. You're denying the image in which somebody was created by the Creator. You are designed to be held in high reverence. You are designed to be the center for worship. Not the center of worship. Yeah. Not like, <laughs> keep talking about me being beautiful. No, you are designed to be the center for worship. Your entire being, you are created to be the place that worships God. You are designed 
to be worship to God. You are designed to be the place where God lived among people. How do people recognize Jesus? It's through other people. It's through other people who are trying to be like Christ. Christian, the word Christian is you look like Christ. It's supposed to be a derogatory term back in the New Testament. But apparently we Christians were like, cool. We'll go with it. Christians, sound good. We are designed to be the place where God lives among his people. Not in a building that you go to on Sunday morning. As a pastor, I can say that. But I can tell you, almost every other pastor that I know, almost every other pastor that I know <laughs> would say the same thing. The building that you go into on Sunday morning, while it is a place where you go to meet with God, so is this room. It's not this room that holds any power. It's not your church that holds any power. It's not a sanctuary that holds any power. Why? Because the temple veil was torn in half at the death of Jesus, so his Holy Spirit could be in this room tonight. So at the beginning of service, when we say, let's pause for a moment and recognize that the creator of the universe is here, it's because he is. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not dying. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Huzzah! Huzzah! You are designed to point God, or point the world to God. I really hope you get this, but this is, the, this is literally the exact same PowerPoint as the one about the tabernacle. Go back in your Bible. Read all the details about the tabernacle. Read all the details about the temple that's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Those details are minor and insignificant compared to how God designed you and your purpose on this planet. You are supposed to be the dwelling place of God. Now, I don't treat mine super well all the time. It should be a conviction. It should be a conviction here and here. Right now you may be sitting there and you're like, really, does God? Eh? That's supposed to happen. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you saying, hey, let's clean these things up. But guess what? You're already in the presence of God, so you don't have to do anything to get there. Right. You're just yeah. there. Yeah. You're there. You can literally go, Jesus, you go, yes. Maybe not quite like that. Hopefully not, yeah. oh, Hopefully not that weird. I don't know. Yes. When you see yourself and others in the eyes of Jesus, you will want others to see. Your purpose, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, found people, find people. It's just fact. It's just what it is. Maybe you're like, man, I, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to get more people interested in this Jesus thing. I don't get it. Okay. It may be difficult. This is another reason why I'm going to go ahead and plug the missionary service at KU on Monday night. Go talk to some missionaries in a country not America. There are stories. I wish I had time to tell you all of them, but there are stories of missionaries in countries around the world that literally work their entire lives to see maybe one or two people 
fall in love with Jesus. Maybe one or two people. Maybe. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's see, first, oftentimes it's really interesting to me. If most people were to quote this, a lot of people, if you can quote this, it's very probable, very likely, that we forget this part about and his righteousness. We don't like that part. Seeking God, let's do it. And his righteousness, hold on. <laughs> I don't know about this. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What does this mean? Fruit is a byproduct of a healthy tree. You have to spend time with Jesus. If you want to see other people fall in love with Jesus, but you're not in love with Jesus, you may not see that. You probably won't. You just, it might not happen. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit before, Spirit before found in Galatians chapter 5. But a tree isn't concerned. A tree doesn't need to be concerned with the fruit. Why? Because a healthy tree just produces fruit. It's a natural occurrence. Am I, am I pursuing God on the daily? More than just, I'm so glad, I'm so pumped y'all are here. Every single one of you, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you heard this. Some of you, I really, really hope this offends you. Not me, I hope the gospel offends you, because this offends me. This is hard to say stuff like this, because I'm not there. There are times in my life where the byproduct, what I produce, is not healthy. And that's why we have this body of believers. Got a little orchard in here. Thanks, Pastor Jared, for that reference. <laughs> right? That's wonderful. Half of you are like, what? It's okay. <clears throat> but fruit is a byproduct of a healthy tree. This means both the fruit of the Spirit and seeing other people come to find and follow Jesus. That's the goal. That's really the goal. If you say that you love the Lord, if you say, yes, I am a Christian, but you don't spend any time with Jesus, you're not following him. I cannot say it any more plainly than that. Now, you can occasionally bump into him. What does that look like? That looks like just going to church every now and then, or just coming to Chi Alpha every now and then, or just going to Spirit Life because you have to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I really am. I even taught one of those, and even after when I was teaching it, I was like, ugh. Oh. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'll do better. But fruit is a byproduct of a healthy tree. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God, that in your mercy, you still pursue us. God, that this isn't a reprimand. This isn't a you pointing your finger and saying, do better. But this is you with loving arms, with your hands open wide, saying, just Come spend time with me. I want to be with you. God, for every student in this room tonight, may we recognize 
that God's love for us is infinite, that there is nothing we can do that can separate us from God's love. No amount of sin in our past, no amount of failure, no amount of anxiety, no amount of fear, no amount of anything that we feel separates us from God. It just doesn't. God, I thank you for your word. And I pray a blessing over the students that are here this evening. We thank you, God, for your amazing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.